Welcome to A Bite of D&D, the podcast where we add flavor and elements to your D&D campaign and random adventures. I am Zach, and to my left is my co-host, Micah, and today our episode is going to be about creating an overworld or creating a campaign setting. Micah, can you kind of give us an idea of what we're going to be getting into here? Uh, well, first, this is not um, creating a, a setting or something for an established realm, so something like Forgotten Realms, um, Greyhawk, anything like that. Um, you can add small things in there, but they already have established settings, cities, things like that. Um, this is for getting ready to start your next campaign and some sort of homebrewed world and different methods you can go about doing that how do you how you make it feel alive and and not just this railroading set piece yeah because a lot of times you have a story or the idea of a story or an interesting element to a world that you kind of want to base a story around and all those things are well and good but at the end of the day the story has to take place somewhere and so the question then becomes when you didn't start out with a map when you didn't start out with a world vision, when you started out with a story or with a character, how do you create a story or, or, or a world around that story? Because not everybody, I mean, this is, this is an area that I love maybe more than, than, than the adventure itself. I love the setting and, and populating a world, but to some people, this is, this is the worst part of it, or this is an afterthought. And how can we help those people find some methods to to build and to flesh out that world. And what are they looking at? What should they be looking at when they are starting to create a world? And personally, I, I come from the camp that I build my story first uh, before I start building the world. And then I, I make a world to fit around that. So it really depends on your style of approaching this. Uh, but again, we've got a, a few different methods that you can go about doing. But I do think it is important that you know, like the type of races, cultures, things like that you want in there, because uh, the environment that they live in is going to affect those cultures or what cultures even come up in the first place. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to have a a highly advanced civilization, typically speaking, living in thick woods. I yep. mean, that would have been cut down, fortifications, city built up. Uh, you, so it, the environments you have can oftentimes be based on what you already have, like the, the culture and race and, 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 and just overall theme you have for your world um, in yep. the first place. Definitely. I think that it also helps because you know what your story should tell you what kind of characters you want your characters to be you want your players to be playing um so that'll give you an idea of what races you want in the world if your setting is a very dark dour world if if your story is that way at least and 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 you want the world to follow suit then you might not want races like halflings in there you know and so by starting to think in that way your story might might give you hints to the type of world building you should be doing. Um, you definitely want to think about that sort of thing. Is a halfling make sense in my world? If my world is populated with demons, uh, do I want there to be tundra or or 
jungle or whatever. Like, do I want to have a demon in that setting, or do I want to have if if my world is populated with uh, uh, kobolds, do I want to have tundra or whatever? Like those, you can kind of think about based on my story what type of environments and what type of monsters and what type of races are should I allow in the encounters? And and really, the beautiful thing with this as, as no matter what method you choose, is you're only placing them in a small part of your world. Depending on how your campaign goes, you can sneak stuff in there that you never thought you were going to have as it comes up. This is just to give you a a general idea, a starting place that you can expand upon. Um, I personally like to know my whole setting ahead of time, but your players can always surprise you and uh it's not a bad thing to have a couple things in your back pocket that you can present if it's needed yeah so what would so i think we have several methods that we've either used or seen used um that can help in creating your world and for this we're mainly talking about creating the map of your world right yeah this is primarily for the map um Using hexes is really one of the most common ways of doing it. Um, it allows you to create very large areas uh, in a very small template, so it's easier to kind of see and, and represent what you're working with. Um, generally, each hex is going to be a set amount of distance, so like 10 miles uh, for a hex. And then... Uh, you kind of fill that in and mark what type of environments it is. So then you can see, well, this forest is going to be about five miles long. Um, this desert is is a 50-mile stretch. Is that really something we want to try and, and get through? And you can kind of start to map out your world with these hexes, get a general shape of it. So do you have a link that you could maybe hook somebody up with if they wanted to do a hex world? And can you tell me, what maybe what type of person would want to design to design in a hex world? What what type of knowledge about their world would they have to have to design in that way? Um, yeah, all the links for the things we're going to be talking about are going to be on the Facebook page. Um, and generally, if you're going to run a a hex grid map, I would say a lot of time you already know what it is that you want to run. You already have a general idea of where placement is going to be. However, that's not always the case, and that kind of brings us into uh, rolling dice to figure out what your world is. Um, utilizing that hex grid, whether or not you know what you want that to be, um, I, I've got another link available to that, um, as it's a, it's a lot easier to see than try to explain. But essentially, the gist of it is you roll... Um, several different types of dice, so your your D4, your D6s, D10s, um, and then the numbers on there represent the intensity of those things, so maybe the size of a city, the height of a mountain, that sort of thing, um, and they each represent a different one of those things, and wherever that kind of lands in correlation with your hex grid is where you'll place it, and then you, your map kind of creates itself. So what we're looking at is two different ways here. The hex method on its own, you really need to have in your own mind, what you want it to look like. And then the hex is just a good way to visually represent that um, exactly how you want. And then if you like the idea of a visual of a hex map, but you don't have an idea for what you want your world to be, then there is this secondary tool, which is uh, a dice method, which fits really well with the idea of D&D as a dice game predominantly. Um, you can You can use this dice to maybe not just to 
uh, seed a world. Um, but you know, sometimes, sometimes it's not that you don't have an idea of what you want, but you want to be surprised yourself as a dungeon master about what kind of a world you're, you're going to run. Maybe you don't trust that you will design something that has the unique style of randomness that a real world building scenario would have. Maybe you feel like most of your maps turn into the same basic plot and you want you want that element of randomness in there to make it feel more realistic. And the dice is a way to do that, is what I'm gathering. Yeah. Um, there's also another approach uh, that you can go about this. Um, you see, uh, I mean, there's several games that have done it, Pokemon probably being one of the more popular ones, where each one of those games kind of takes place in a different region. And... Um, pretty much all of those regions are based on a, a real place. Hmm. So uh, the latest generation was Sun and Moon. Uh, that was kind of loosely based on Hawaii. You've had France in the past. And you're not copying that geography exactly, but it gives you a good baseline for, you know, kind of the base you're working with and a general layout of what you can expect there. Well, I could be honest. If you made a map of my home county, and took off all the names of the towns and the rivers and whatever, and you renamed them with some fantasy names and you threw that to me as a map, even if the towns were in the same location, I probably wouldn't recognize it as anything more than a fantasy map that you had created. You don't have to... Uh, the, the point with this is you don't have to stress out and spend a lot of time trying to create this real intricate world. There's plenty of things that give you a general layout, and then you can still fill that in and add your own spin on things, add your own, like, cool points of interest. And that's that's the fun part. But I, I feel like a lot of people get hung up on the bigger picture, and that's really the easiest part about it. Yeah. And if, you know, there are others, uh, this is not me, but it's something that I've seen used. Um, there are completely random ways to create um, to create a map. Um, Don John, the website, has, and we're going to post a link to this as well, um, a way where you can just input data um, for, and, and, and just like a Minecraft world or something like that, it will seed out a completely unique world um, for you just with one click and it, it'll have, you know, you can kind of adjust levels to get the world that maybe has more ice or more water or more whatever that you're looking for. But for the most part, they do all the, it does all the work for you. The program does. It's super easy. It's super fast. And I mean, that'll kind of give you the general layout. Just a nice way to have that fast, random, I don't have to think about it sort of a world. So really that's the, the, basic way, uh, a few of the basic ways to get a general layout. I mean, I'm sure there's a, a million others. You guys may have some ideas as well. Well, and just a quick note is that you can also just wing it. You know, um, by this I don't actually mean wing it, I guess, but rather, you can create adventures um, to build your world and let what happens in those adventures flesh out the world at large. So you just write whatever you want to write. You know, if you want to write an adventure that's in a forest, and that's great. And then if you're like, hey, my next adventure, I really want to be big, urban, sprawling city. Well, you can then just say, okay, so my map starts with a big forest. And then the next adventure is in, takes place in this huge city. So I know that in my map, there's this big forest, and I'm going to name it something. And then right next to it is this big city that I'm going to name something. And the only reason that I know that is because I want to tell a forest adventure and then I want to tell a city adventure. And that's 
good enough to some extent, depending on your players. Well, and uh, to take that a step further, um, if you have already gathered several different adventures that you think would be interesting to place somewhere in your world, you can let that dictate what's going to be there and then just give your your players some hooks to get them interested in something and whatever direction they head in, that's what you prepare for. Um, and, and really, your players can do a lot more to, to build the world for you than you may realize. I mean, having more engaged players makes it easier on your part and more than just running the game, but also getting it set up. Um, the more in-depth of a backstory they have, um, the more you can pull from that to help make your world feel more alive. Yeah, I think that it's a great tool to incentivize your players, if you can, to when they're writing their backstory, throw in some towns, to say where they're from, say what village they're from or from what city they're from, who their enemies were, who their friends were, maybe if there was an, an order of clerics that they knew. Um, was there a lich that came through and decimated their village? Like, those types of things, you don't know what your play, you know, you, you know, you always want to look over that and make sure that there's not anything that drastically changes your, your ideas. But, but, you know, more often than not, what you walk away from after you read your four players, five players, six players backstories is, I have a lot of good information that I can then implement into my world and I did nothing. I, I didn't have any effort put into that at all. I basically, your, your, um, designating out some of that uh some of that effort and that's awesome and your players will thank you for it because they love when they get to contribute to the world that their characters are living in yeah and that and that really kind of pulls us really well into how we can make this this generic map start to feel alive right because you don't want to just have a bunch of set pieces that they show up and then they kind of time skip and they show up at the next one like, you want there to be travel. You want there to be NPCs and things populating that. And, and again, being able to pull from your players is huge. You should not... I, I would highly recommend against trying to fill every single adventure, trying to homebrew every single one of them, trying to homebrew every single NPC. There are a lot of tools available to you that you can pull from to, to add those in. This would be it a good makes, spot to plug the Dungeon Master's Guild um, a resource that I really like. Uh, uh, Dungeon Masters Guild is a, is a website that Wizards of the Coast put out that um, has a ton of resources, a lot of which are free. A lot of everything else is, at, in my opinion, at least super cheap. And that's just a great resource to go on there, spend five bucks, walk away with uh, a fistful of NPCs and maps. Yep. And if you already own some books, um, I believe the starter set for 5e comes with uh, the Lost Minds of. Fandelver, yeah, something is, like that. Is that it? Uh, I mean, you can tailor those a little bit to make them fit in with your world. I mean, there's no reason not to utilize the the great adventures that have already been put out for us. Yeah, I think that all their campaign books that Wizards put out are, are definitely good resources that you can take and pull from and create the right scenario. Uh, another great one um, that I would recommend is their book, uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal. It has a lot of adventures, I think about six, that 
most of them are older adventures, but that they brought them up to the 5e setting, to the 5e mechanics. And just looking through that, you're going to find at least one or two of those adventures that you can put directly into your campaign that's going to, again, help you flesh out that world and make it feel lived in. Yeah, because uh, ultimately, unless you've already been playing for years and years and you have a backlog of stuff you can pull from, um, it is you are going to save hundreds and hundreds of hours by using these resources. Um, it does not take away no. from from your campaign or your setting. Um, you still have to prepare for that. You're still putting in the work. And it you, you can still have your own unique story that you want to tell. These are things to help. These are quest hooks to give your players, give them things to do, give them options. But you can you will always have your main plot thread present. Yep. I think that's great. You yeah, you should always slightly tweak whatever adventures you pull to make sure that you add that little tiny drops of flavor, drops of plot hooks to to steer them towards believing that you know, you don't want your players to feel like this adventure that you pulled from uh, the Dungeon Master's Guild or from a book, it sits outside of the campaign setting. And the way that you can easily do that is by bringing the campaign setting into those adventures in little tiny ways. Yeah. Uh Maybe uh, you've run into uh, some sort of minion of, of your big bad at some point in uh, your story. And instead of using whatever generic boss or, or whatever that has was set in that piece, put in this minion. Maybe he's trying to rally some, some orcs under their banner or something. And mm-hmm. so when you get there, you discover that they've had a hand in this. Yep. Um, you, you can very easily... Uh, leave a note in with some of the loot they find that hints that maybe there's more work than just what they thought. You can always very easily uh, tie that back in without having to make this convoluted reason for why they would be present. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else that we want to make sure that the players know, um, that our listeners know before we kind of end this up. Again, most of what we shared today ties in with something visual that we're going to be linking to on Facebook. So definitely this is an episode that somewhat stands alone, but also if you go back and listen to it and, you know, when you have those links in front of you and click on what ones you find interesting, I think that you will find some resources that will help you. I, I think those links will help a lot. Um, we've also got some maps that we've used for our previous campaigns that we can link to give you an idea. I believe that, uh, speaking of the DMs Guild, I do believe that we have some content up there with some notes notating how and why we made some choices um, that you can check out and maybe give you an idea for when you're you're building yours. But we've got kind of an intro campaign world that you can take a look at absolutely i think that ends this episode uh we appreciate you guys tuning in listening um and hopefully you'll tune into the next one see ya